It's resurrection morning, a day the impossible happened, when lies, abuse, and death itself were quietly abandoned. It's resurrection morning, there's no one in the tomb. The guards, the stone, they could not stop what only the Prince of Life could do. It's resurrection morning, he is not dead, he's very alive. Jesus took life back from the grave and gives it free to all who would rather not die. Since curse was dark and absolute, every day men face its ugly warning. Yet death can now be put away because it's resurrection morning. I think it's a great day. Amen. All right. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to talk about the realities of the resurrection. A lot of people don't know what I'm about to teach you, what I'm about to remind some of you of. <clears throat> you say, well, I, I believe in the resurrection. Well, I'm glad. But do you really believe it? See, in this day and age, you can turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start down to verse 12. A lot of people, if not so many people, believe, don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead at all. Listen to Paul when he writes in verse 12 of chapter 15. He says, but now, but if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you, among you supposed Christians, that there is no resurrection of the dead? Evidently, Paul heard that there were people who believed that when he died, he stayed dead. He never came back to life. He didn't believe in a resurrection. And, you know, many people believe that the idea of a resurrection is a lie, a fraud. Shouldn't even be considered as possible. And for the first time in history, I've watched polls and, and statistics go through time here for the last 40 years of being saved, and for the first time in history, most people in Europe believe that there is no life after death. That's awful. I want to talk about the stark reality of no resurrection. You know, Paul begins to describe what if there is no resurrection? You know, everybody talks about, you know, free speech and, and uh, discussing both sides of the issue. You know, a Bible believer will look at both sides. We'll ask ourselves, what if there's no resurrection? What if Jesus is still dead? Let's look at the realities. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus is still dead and he's gone forever. Look in verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? That's obvious. You can't come on a Sunday, which is the day he raised from the dead, and worship Jesus if you think he's dead. Does that make sense? If Jesus, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus cannot hear you when you pray. He can't help you when you need him. He's not keeping any of his promises of never leaving or forsaking you. That's kind of a crazy lie. He promised, I will never leave you or forsake you, and yet he's gone. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus is dead, just like every other religious leader. The only difference between us and every other region of the world is an empty tomb. If that tomb is not what it claims to be, then we're no different. Everybody's just as good as another. If there's no resurrection, then when Jesus, in the end on that cross, his breathing slowed and then stopped and his heart stopped beating. And by the way, let's not let's make sure that that. We believe that he really died because when that soldier there and that long spear pierced his side, he ripped his heart into two to make sure he was dead. Remember that? There's no swooning on the cross. There's no fainting on the cross and he just woke up in the tomb. No, he was dead, dead. His lifeless body was wrapped in a cloth and then laid in a nearby tomb. And then he was sealed. I mean, he's gone. If there's no resurrection, that's all there was to Jesus Christ. Look at the next verse, verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in a preaching vain. Just stop there for a second and realize if there's no resurrection, then all that we believe from Genesis to Revelation, all that Bible-believing pastors preach is a waste of time. 
Vain means worthless, empty, a complete waste of our time. All the Bible studies that you've gone through, all the Bible preaching and teaching you've heard, all the Christian conferences, the mission conferences, the evangelism conferences, all the times you've read through your Bible, memorized its promises, were all wasted hours. Do you understand that? If there's no resurrection. Look at verse 14. The end of it goes on. If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Hey, listen, the truth is to believe in the resurrection, if it's not true, doesn't do any good. Because if you you can believe the moon is made out of cheese. You know, there's some nutsos out there that believe the moon is actually artificial. There's aliens up there inside. You, know, you can believe anything you want. I don't care what you believe. It doesn't change reality, folks. It doesn't do any good to believe the moon is made out of cheese because it's not going to help you. <laughs> Your faith is vain. If you believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, and yet if he hadn't been, then your faith is in vain too. You're wasting your faith. Everything you claim to believe about heaven and hell and God and eternity is therefore wrong. Is it stark enough yet? You can't just say, well, I'm one of those that have made up my mind about the resurrection. All right, that's fine. But let me tell you, the resurrection is the final proof that what Jesus came to do worked. And if you take the resurrection, it's like disconnecting the building from the ESB. There's no power there. There's no life there. It's empty and it's wasted. Number four, look in verse 15. The truth is, if there's no resurrection, then we Christians are liars. Look in verse 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses. We've been exposed if there's no resurrection. We are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. Let's own this. If there's no resurrection, you know what we've been? Liars. Just go ahead and admit it. 16, I mean, Paul's hammering away. Look at uh, um, verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are dead in your sins. Two thoughts here in verse 16. Uh, uh, verse 16, he says, for the dead rise not. Then is Christ not raised? Uh, Jesus, the, the, the thought I didn't get to state, but it's very important to realize Jesus is not where he said he was. We, we get this idea that he's gone. But instead, he's somewhere still in a grave, somewhere rotting away, and he's worm food. Is that what you want to believe? That is, if God can't raise a dead person back to life. Keep going there in verse 16. Verse 17 says, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. And you're, you're yet in your sins. You know, the worst whole thing of this thing is, look, I tell people all the time, your past does not define you. Your worst moments are not who you are, not when you have Jesus Christ. But if Jesus is dead, then yes, your sin defines you. The best days of your life are all you have. And your sin will define how you live and how horribly you die. If and only in this life we have life. Goes on and he says this. All those who have died before us are forever gone. Look in verse 18. Then also, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Perish means they're gone. And this is terrifying. People that we said goodbye to at the grave are absolutely gone. You know, when I go to a funeral, I mean, it is grieving. It is sad. But if they're saved, I still smile. I still have a bit of thrill in my soul because I will see them again. And whatever, whatever delay there is between the time that I say goodbye and we say hello is, is, is not too long. But if the dead rise not, then they are gone, gone, gone. Do you think of that? Is that what you believe? Goes on, I mean, he's hammered away, verse 19. He says, and if in this life only we have hope in Christ, 
We are of all men most what? You know, a lot of you, when you come to church, you're like, oh, I don't want to go to church. Miserable. <laughs> you have no idea the word. Do you realize we believed there is another life after death? We don't have to accumulate wealth to be happy. We believe that God's going to make up for all that we go through now in the next life in heaven. But if that's not true, we're most miserable because everybody else is ahead of us. Everybody else is accumulating and doing and enjoying. And we've been holding back saying it doesn't matter. One day it's going to be worth it all. But now all of a sudden, if Jesus can't raise, if God can't raise his son from the dead, what a miserable life I've been living. God can't raise the dead back to life, then this is all this there is. This fleeting momentary breath that we have is one moment over. That's what Richard Dawkins has been saying for 30 years. There is no life after death. Get over it. That's what he says. You know what the truth summary of all of that is? Oh, I already said that, right? Death becomes the absolute winner. It's final. Our life, no matter how much we have loved and been loved, ends forever at death. Can you imagine me being at a funeral talking like that? <laughs> you imagine the, the darkness of this, these statements? No matter the injustices that have been done to somebody, no matter how many injustices done by us, everything ends at the grave if God can't raise a dead person back to life. Is that what you believe? Do you believe that this is all there is? Hold your place here and go back to Acts 26. Acts chapter 26. In verse 8. Paul asks a very simple statement. I just want you to ponder it and I'm going to pray. Acts 26 and verse 8. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you? That God should raise the dead. Why would you think it impossible for God to raise the dead? Father, I pray as we open your word, please open our hearts. Help me be a help this morning, God. We're here, not just because it's Easter, but because there's something inside of us that says, hmm, something more, something bigger going on. Something happened 2,000 years ago. There was a cross, there was a tomb, and then there was a resurrection. And some people have come this morning, Lord, they're wondering what happened. They're wondering what difference it makes. And some Christians have kind of lost their joy, kind of lost their, their, their way, their joy, their, their, their thrill. I pray it comes back to them this morning knowing that it's found in Jesus Christ and what he's done, not what we've done or not done. God, please revive your people. And save souls this morning. Give them faith to believe this greatest of truths in Jesus' name. Amen. So go back to 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to talk about the facts. There in 15, we're down in verse 20 here. I mean, he ends with, we are of all men most miserable if Jesus died and never got up. All right, well, let's look at the facts, okay? He says in verse 20, I love this, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Now that's a package that would take an hour to unravel. There's so much in there. Think about this word now, okay? There are a lot of people who don't believe in God, don't believe in the Bible, don't believe in religion, but in their heart of hearts, they know there's a judgment day way out in the future. Way out there. Oh yeah, yeah, we're all gonna be raised up. People instinctively believe things like that. But listen, what does Paul say? Now is Christ raised, not way out in the future. He got up and it is a present reality. Don't wait for tomorrow for God to pick you up. Let him pick you up now. There is a reality. Now is Christ risen. What a crazy thing to say. You know, when people die, it sure looks like they're, it's the end, doesn't it? I watched, I went uh, home to see, to, to be a part of the funeral of my dad uh, back three years ago, almost four years ago. 
And the hardest thing was to go into that funeral home there and he was laid out on that slab. And you're looking at that chest and you're wishing that chest would begin to move again. And he's as still as stone. And you tenderly take his hand, you touch it, and it's as cold as ice. It's final, isn't it? When people die, it sure looks like it's the end. And that's why we bury them deep in a hole in the ground and people weep and grieve and walk away after it's all said and done. And when Jesus died, the same thing happened, didn't it? The very people who had been thrilled at every word he said now wept as they took him down and wrapped him in a, in a cloth and they put him in that tomb and they rolled the stone and four soldiers stood to, <laughs> stupidly to guard over a dead body. And as they walked away, they wept and they grieved. Then Paul says, he's alive now. Think about it. Five facts. There's an empty tomb just outside of Jerusalem that proves he's alive. No one could ever boast such a thing. No religious leader has ever said, you know what? I'm going to go down to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. They'll put me in a tomb. And three days later, I'm getting back up and then have an empty tomb to prove it. That is amazing fact. Secondly, there are more than 500 witnesses that saw him alive again. Look back there in chapter 15. Look down in uh, verse four, he goes on that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, all according to the scriptures. Then he was seen of Cephas, which is another name for Peter. And then of the 12 apostles, verse six, and after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until this present, but some are also fallen asleep. They've also gone to church and fallen asleep. I'm sorry, who have died and are missing now. But verse 6 says there are 500, more than 500 people who saw him alive and can testify in court, and their testimonies will agree. Third fact, Paul himself, he was the enemy, the arch enemy i mean every every marvel superhero has a super enemy doesn't he paul saul of tarsus was the arch enemy of jesus and he says he's a jesus is alive i mean when your enemy's convinced there's truth isn't there see i don't only want to hear what your friends say about you i'd like to ask your enemies because they can testify who you really are and the one greatest enemy of jesus christ says he's alive i saw him Another fact, the Bible is full of prophecies about the resurrection. From Psalm 22 to at least 15 different Psalms about the Messiah, about Isaiah 53 and, and Zechariah chapter 13. The Bible is full, Daniel chapter 9, full of prophecies about a Messiah coming, being cut off, dead, and rising again and reigning forever. Fact, Jesus himself promised over and over, didn't he? He said, guys, we're going down to Jerusalem. They said, good, I hope they got good food. <laughs> Haven't been to a good restaurant in a long time. And Jesus says, we're not going there for food, Peter. We're heading down there and they're going to mock me. Then they're going to whip me. And then they're going to tear my flesh off. And they're going to crucify me. They're going to bury me. And then three days later, I'm going to get up again. And the disciples went, what did he say? I, did, did he just say, I don't, I don't understand what he said. And he would tell them over and over again. It was not a surprise. Last fact, think about it. I bet you never thought about it. The miracles that Jesus did didn't stop with him. They continued, didn't they, for the next 30 years. Paul was able to raise the dead. Peter was able to heal the sick and cure the cripple. Those miracles that Jesus had done now were continuing. Something had happened, and it was proven that Jesus was alive. You know what the truth is? Christ's resurrection is only the beginning. Look back in verse 20. He says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. That's an interesting phrase because what we're looking at is a farming term. Yes or no? It's not moving. Can you hit the right arrow, Tom? There we go. Thank you. 
Um, so there in verse 20, he says he's the first fruits. Now, that's a, a farming term, which means there's a huge harvest. We've only just, this is just the beginning. It's the, if you ever had a, had a orchard full of apples or oranges or pears or cherries or whatever, what do you do is you start gathering in that first basket. That's called the first fruits. And that goes home to mama. Says, oh, this is what we're going to be harvesting for the next two weeks. Amen. And Jesus is the first fruits of a lot of resurrections that are coming. So in verse 21, Paul tells us that Jesus brought to us a life that outlasts eternity. Verse 21, for since by man came death. Ladies, you're supposed to say amen. Yeah, I knew it was a man's fault. It's always a man's fault. Since by man came death, by man also came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, here's our first man, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. I love this. Jesus did not bring more death. You know what most religions have brought to the world? More death. Look at the history of Muhammad. Look at the history of most every religious leader ended in the slaughter of their enemies and the slaughter of their opponents. Jesus didn't bring more death, did he? You know, for the first time, a man died for his enemies. Wow. He didn't bring more death. Now, there was a guy who did. His name was Adam. Mm -hmm. You say, you believe in Adam? Yeah, I believe in Adam. To deny Adam is to deny your own existence, folks. We came not from, we, from uh, apes or amoebas. We came from one man and one woman, Adam and Eve. And the truth is, Adam chose to disobey God and to sin against God. And the consequences of that decision are graves that fill this planet full of dead bodies. Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, condemned us all to death. What do you got to look forward to? Hospital beds and then a funeral home and then a grave. That's what you're looking forward to. Huh. You can blame Adam, all right? But there was another man. Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, who brought life back from the dead. You know, all men and women, boys and girls, old and young, will die. But all who get into Christ will live forever and will experience a resurrection. Now, you want, you want, you want eternal life? You don't have to go deep into religion. Because religion doesn't bring back life from the dead. No matter how many prayers you pray or how good deeds how many good deeds you do you can get the most expensive counseling you can do all the drugs it will not bring your body up back up from the grave and i know there are people who have actually paid six hundred thousand euros for their body to be frozen at death you know what they're hoping for some mad scientist <laughs> to come up with a way to shock them back to life about 100 years from now and let them live forever what a what a risk, man. I get it for free. <laughs> I got it by faith. You say you're a nut. I'm screwed on the right bolt. That's all I can say. And you know what Jesus did when he took life back from the dead? I mean, if you got if you got there were conquistadors and Cortez and and um, uh, Spanish conquerors that went throughout Central and Southern America looking for eternal life, the water of life. They looked for the fountain of youth. Remember that, all those stories? They also were looking for gold, mainly for gold. But anyway, it wasn't there. If you found such a thing that was priceless like the fountain of youth, would you just give it? Would you sell it? You know what Jesus did? He took it back from the jaws of death and he gives it to anybody who'll just trust him. Just look to him and ask him to save them. Do you realize how awesome Jesus is? Everything's going to happen, happen in its own proper order of time, right on schedule. He uses that term now and he talks about the first fruits, Adam being the first man, Jesus the second that fixes everything. Verse 23. So when's the resurrection, Pastor? When? Every man 
in his own order, in his own schedule, verse 23, Christ the first fruits, and afterward, they that are Christ's at his woo, second coming. To you, a schedule may not matter. If I looked, if I if I checked your schedule on Sunday morning, sleep, 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 alarm, pause, sleep, sleep, wake up, rush, get out, <laughs> get to church. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't work last minute. God's got a, a pattern, a schedule, a well laid out and arranged plan. And he gives a brief summary of Bible prophecy. And he starts with the cross. He starts with the cross. Jesus is the first man to resurrect from the dead, never to die again. And the point is that just, and, and because he got up, there's going to be a lot more people who are going to follow. You know, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but guess what happened to Lazarus a few years later? He died again. There were a few resurrections in, in the Old Testament there, and even at the time of Christ where he raised somebody from the dead, but they all died again. When Jesus got up, he's never dying again. He's the first one that comes up never to die again. So his resurrection start. I mean, his God's plan started with the cross and then the tomb. Hmm. And then came the morning. Wow, what a morning. There was nobody there to greet him. Can you imagine him? It's the greatest moment in all of eternity, and there's nobody there going, I knew it. I knew you were coming up. There's nobody there to greet him, but he still came up. Would you come to church on a Sunday morning if I didn't show up? Nobody else did. You say, well, nobody's going to be there. Why would I go? Jesus got up even though nobody believed. Isn't that awesome? That morning was Sunday morning. You say, why is Sunday so special? Because Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we come and we make this day very special. The next event on God's schedule will be one massive resurrection at Jesus' return. Look there in verse 23. But every man in his own order of resurrection, Christ the first fruits, and afterward they that belong to who? Well, I'm a member of a church. I was born this religion, I'll die this religion. You better belong to Jesus Christ. They that are Christ, they're the ones that are coming up. Verse, 20, uh, verse 24 goes on, then cometh the what? I like this. Uh, uh, then comes the end that is not the end. I like this. I'll never forget watching the original Star Trek, Star Wars trilogy, and the second one was, you know, the it was the revenge. Um, not not the not the one, two, three, but four, five, six, but the number five one, whatever it was called. At the end, if you remember, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite. And they're on a ship outside of the galaxy, and the movie ends. Do you remember that? Oh, some of you need to. There's a lot of biblical truth in some of those old films. Anyway, the movie just stops. Now, I was not saved. I'm sitting in a, in, a, in a cinema there, and the entire audience went, no, because it can't end there. And you know what? Our, the, this book doesn't end. When, when, when Jesus died, it was not the end. And by the way, when Jesus comes back, it's not the end. There is such a huge plan that we're in that is just awesomer and awesomer as we go along. Look at what he says in verse, 50, verse 24. Then cometh the end when he, Jesus, shall have delivered up the entire kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down. I mean, that's put under his feet. All rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Just think about this for a minute. One of these days, Jesus Christ is going to finish up everything and hand everything to his father. The end is a time when all human and demonic power and authority will have finally been put down. You know, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. We're going to learn about it at the men's camp. He has a dream and 
He calls for all the wisest men. They can't figure it out. They can't tell him his dream. And Daniel comes in and says, you saw a whopper of a dream. Nebi, when you looked at and then that dream, you saw an image of all the world empires as one defiant image of, of defiance against God. All of the world's empires building and doing things without you until a stone falls out of heaven and breaks it all down, crumbles it to the ground. And that stone, Daniel says, is my king. <laughs> He's my Messiah. One day at the end, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the end. Whew. That will start eternity. Now, all of that summary, I want you to get the point. The most important thing to understand, not all the prophecy, not figuring all that, is that Jesus is quite alive and he's coming again soon. And even if you and I die, I think about it every once in a while. I mean, if I die tomorrow, what's going to happen? Hopefully some people will be sad. Have a real long, drawn-out funeral. Then you're going to bury me. But it's not the end. Think about this for a minute. Let me show you this. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, let me show you what we're going to look at. That is not what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to something much better. It's a quick review because this is important. A lot of people don't know what I'm going to point out. By the way, did you know the last prayer in your Bible? Go to Hold your place here. Go to Revelation. Quickly, quickly. Oh, I got lots to say. Revelation chapter 22. Look at the last prayer in the Bible. The last thing that is prayed is not for world peace. It's not for all the nations to come together as one. It's not for wars to stop and for people to love one another. We're not told to pray for a new world order or social justice or equity or civil rights. Look at the last prayer in verse 20. He which testifieth these things, this is John talking, saith, Surely I come quickly. Even so, here's the prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, I just want Jesus to come back. I'll know, I know he'll know what to do to fix everything. Folks, he's not coming back if he's still dead. You see how important the resurrection is? We Bible leaders have so much more than a grave ahead of us. Go to 1 Thessalonians now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Talking about a resurrection. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not. What's he talking about? People who died. Even as others which have no hope. What, what, what? We have hope. So when somebody dies, it's not death. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died, how many believe Jesus died on the cross? Man, the evidence, I hope so. some of you are just looking at me. Jesus died on the cross. Let me hear an amen. And when he died on that cross, he really died. All right, well, if we believe that Jesus died, is that all you believe? Don't stop there. <laughs> for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus said, well, they're in the grave, not my, not my brethren. People who die, they sleep in Jesus. Their body is just waiting to be waked up. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. We'll come back to that verse in a second, verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we, I'm hoping to be part of this part in verse 15, we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we're not going to prevent, we're not going to get ahead of them which are asleep. Remember what did Paul say? Everything's going to be in order. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. What's he describing? A resurrection. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. We call that the rapture. The modern would be the hoovering up of all Christians. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18, wherefore, when you go to a funeral, comfort one another with these words that it ain't over. Quick review. Let me just go through this. You are a three-part person. You're a body, a soul, and a spirit. Your body is how you live here in the world. It's the real you. It's only temporary, though. You will die. And by the way, your body is not the most important part of you. How much time do you spend focused on your flesh and your body versus your spirit? About 2,000 to 1. <laughs> You'll, you'll be you're all day long worried about how you look, whether you're fed, whether you're sleeping enough, and whether you've got spots or whether you've got too much weight or all the things that are about you on the outside. And you never worry about you on the inside. There's more to you than just what's on the outside. You're a soul is the real you. That's made in the image of God and it will live forever. Your soul never dies. And then you have something called your spirit and that spirit is the only way for you to know God, to talk to God, and to walk with God. But because of sin, guess what? Your spirit's dead. It's like buying a phone and it's never been charged. You can talk all day into it and it can't make a phone call. You ever, heard, you ever see the two old ladies and they got the calculator and they're... I've been dialing all day and nobody's answering. <laughs> they don't know that there's no power in that thing to give them, make a phone call. And a lot of people have been praying all their lives and there's no answer. You know why? Because their spirit is dead. There's a great verse in Ephesians. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins have quickened, made alive through Jesus Christ. That third part of you needs to be born again. We'll talk about that in a second. When your soul dies, I'm sorry, when your body dies, your soul doesn't die. I don't know why this thing's not clicking. There we go. When your body dies, that cold, dark grave is not the end. That body of yours will be placed in the grave and, oh, well, I'm going to cremate. I want to be cremated. I don't care. You're dead. Who cares? But your soul does not go with it. You know, even in hell, you know what a soul wishes? They die. Your soul cannot die. Your soul at death wakes up either in heaven with the Lord Jesus or in hell with the damned. Please take your Bible. Turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. How important is the resurrection? I am showing you. Luke chapter 16, verse 22. Jesus is describing two men. <clears throat> Rich men were thought of as being near to God because how else did they get the money except by the blessing of God? And desperately poor people must be punished by God. That's how people thought. So Jesus turned it on his head and said, guess who's going to heaven? The poor man. And who? guess who ends up in hell? The rich man. Verse 22. Verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels right into Abraham's bosom, right in his lap. The rich man also died and was buried. Is there a full stop at the end of that sentence? No. Verse 23, and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. It's pure torment, mentally, physically. Folks, I don't want anybody to go to hell. I've read enough about hell. For me to hate it, for me to want to get people saved so they don't go there. Folks, I want you to understand there's a part of you that will live forever somewhere. And your body may die, but that's not the most important thing to worry about because your soul will go somewhere, either into the presence. You say, What do you mean? Let me take your Bible, turn to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Look what the believer has to look forward to. In Corinthians 5 and verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from who? I know why I'm here. I'm missing Jesus. Down to verse 8. We are confident. Are you? 
I'm confident. I say and willing rather, looking forward to being absent from the body. <laughs> I mean, I'm jumping ship one day and to be present with the Lord. That's such simple Bible truth that people forget about. Your, when your body dies, that is not the end. You know what? One day God is going to actually put our divided bodies. Part of, part of me is going down to the grave body, but my soul and spirit is going to be with Jesus. But you know what I found out about God? He doesn't like things being broken. You know what? When, when they fed 5,000 hungry men one day, Jesus said, after they fed everybody to the full, he said, take baskets and collect the crumbs. I don't want to, I don't want to lose anything. And you know, when your body goes to the grave and those worms start to eat it, I want to talk real plain for a minute, and you start stinking up a storm, God says, it's not over. One of these days, I'll fix it, and I'll put you back together again. That's the resurrection, and we forget about how miraculous our God is. So what God does is he brings up a new body one of these days. You think I look good now? Wait till that day. Come on, say amen. Somebody, all right. We get in a new body. You say, man, I got nothing but aches and pains. I've been in the hospital. I've known nothing but bills and trouble all my life. I can't sleep at night. You're going to get a body where it'll all be worth it. You say, man, what are we going to be? We're going to be 90 years old. We get him. You're going to be about 30 years old forever. The best age ever. I know for a guy, it's about 30. For a woman, it's about 22. <laughs> but the best ever life is in that new body. So whatever stuff you go through, you know what Christians say? It'll be okay. Best treatment, get it. Try to, try to eat right, sleep right. One of these days, everything will be right. My body's coming up out of that grave new. And that soul and that spirit of mine is going to be put back together, and there'll be a brand new me. Whew. Unbeatable. Jesus, you know what we're going to be like? We're going to be like Jesus Christ. I will not be Jesus. I will not have all the power of Jesus. But everything, I mean, when Jesus was alive after the resurrection, you know what he did? He ate. Ladies, gentlemen, we're going to eat in heaven. You know, people got the idea. We're going to be floating around dressed as babies with a harp in a toga, and they think that's heaven for all eternity. Boring. <laughs> You're going to be able to eat anything you want to eat for as long as you want to eat it. Hallelujah. Cadbury's, bring it on. You're going to be able to go anywhere you want to go, do anything you want to do, and it will please the Father. You can't sin anymore. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Whew. There in 1 Corinthians, I, I just look at verse 50. I just, I got to stop. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 54. So when this corruptible flesh shall have put on incorruptible, incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Go back. I want to show you this. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, your body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to heaven as you are. Neither doth corruption inherit all that perfection, that incorruption in heaven. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all one day be what? Changed. Oh, in a moment. In a fast, it's faster than the blink of an eye. It's called the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead... <laughs> shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be, hallelujah, changed. And then after that, let's go back to what Paul was talking there. He says, all of this happens at the resurrection. Man. You know, the truth is, let's see if I can bring it up. It's not working today. The devil doesn't like us hearing what I'm saying. Come on. There we go. And then Jesus will reign. Look at verse 24, back in 1524, because I've got to finish this up. Then cometh the end, as we read, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, 
when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign. Just stop there for a second. You know, Hitler tried to rule the world, didn't he? Thank God he failed miserably. Alexander the Great tried to rule the world, and he failed. He died at 30 years old. Some say he died of a drunken binge. Nebuchadnezzar tried to rule the world and failed. Every Roman Caesar tried to rule the world and failed. Genghis Khan came closest to ruling the world. <laughs> failed. Attila the Hun failed. Cyrus the Great failed. Napoleon failed. One day there's a guy coming called the Antichrist. He's going to try to rule the world. Thank God he's going to fail. Jesus' reign is still ahead, folks. It's called the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, and all enemies will finally be defeated. Not just human enemies, but enemies like sickness, and disease, and sorrow, and envy, and hunger, and wars, sin, and temptation. Even Satan himself will be defeated. Amen? And then the best part of it all, the final enemy that will be defeated is death itself. Verse 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. You know, God saves the best for last. Now, I know some people eat the dessert first. But you know, God says the best is for last. One day, death itself will die. <laughs> I think death has been, a been around too long. Would you agree? And how can we say that death will die? Because Jesus got up from the grave because of Sunday. Because of the resurrection. Whew. Now you know why we, Bible believers, get excited about Sundays. While some of us love coming to church. Because who we worship is very alive. You know what? Us Bible believers don't care what's on Netflix, on TikTok, or who is running for Tishuk. We don't care about money or successes or stocks or gold or cathedrals or temples. We just care that Jesus is still alive. He's still there. You know what? We we excited about Sundays because death has no grip on us now. Yeah, I'm going to die. But so what? Death doesn't have a grip on me. You know what John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, Jesus says, and believeth on him that sent me, hath right now everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. You're not going to face a judgment, but his past dragged into, out of condemnation, into eternal life. The resurrection is the best part of the gospel. One last scripture, first, verse 1 of chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Oh, here we go. Join the church. No. Be a good person. No. Pray a lot of prayers. No. Go on a pilgrimage. No. Look at the gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and, by, and wherein ye now stand. This is how we stand. Verse 2. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, like these others who don't believe in the resurrection. Verse 3, for I delivered unto you, here's the great truths. First of all, that which I also myself received, how that Christ died for our sins. That's good news. You should die for your sins. You should pay. That's called taking responsibility. And yet Christ died for our sins according to the promises of the scriptures. Verse 4, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day all according to the scriptures. Do you want to be saved? You want to have the gift of eternal life? Believe that Jesus is alive. That he died for you. Well, I know he died for other people. I know he died for the world. But you know what you need? You need to believe he died for you. That you deserve hell and that you need to be born again. He says one last thing there. Wake up, Christian. Look at verse 34. Paul's astonished. At Christians, he says, awake to righteousness. Talking to Christians. And stop sinning. Sin not. Stop living like there's no God there, no resurrection. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. Dear Christian, some if not most do not know these great facts. There are people who live in fear of death. And they go to church every week. 
There are people who do not know that Jesus loved them and died for them and rose again for them and wants them. And that's to our shame. You know why there are more people in Europe that don't believe in the resurrection than there are that do? Because we failed. We're not preaching like we should. We're not witnessing. We're not testifying. We're not living like Jesus is alive. And wake up, dear friend. Oh, hold there. The last point there at the end. If you're not ready to die, and I hope you're not, and you're at the same time not ready to meet God, then I want to invite you to humble yourself today. Talk to God in this next few moments as a sinner, not as an Irishman, not as Nigerian. Talk to God as a sinner. God doesn't care where you came from. You know what he wants? Settle where you're going. He'd like to know you as his son or his daughter. Would you talk to him today, this moment, as we get ready to, would you stand with me and bow your heads in prayer? Ask Jesus to save you from all your sins. That's all I did 42 years ago. And that simple childlike request will change not only your destiny from hell to heaven, but it'll change your future starting now. Father, in this moment, as we quietly close our eyes and think, realize, we've answered the questions about whether Jesus really rose from the dead or not. We've looked at what if he didn't. But now we need to look and see, has it ever made an impact on, on our lives? And the first impact is to convict us that we're not ready we're not going through that door of death, ready to meet God. We'll either meet him as judge or we'll meet him as family. And nothing I can do can prepare me for that day. But Jesus did it all. Jesus did everything. And that's why on the cross, he was able to cry out, it is finished. Anyone can be forgiven. Anyone can believe the impossible, the incredible, that God would raise the dead. So, Lord, in this room, there's got to be some who have never humbled themselves and never once said, God, I'm talking to you now. Instead of letting the pastor talk, I'm talking to you. And I'm confessing I'm lost without hope. I have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And I cry out now from my heart of hearts. I don't know how to pray, but I ask you to save me. Forgive me. I didn't pray a fancy prayer, Lord. You know, 42 years ago, I just knew I needed you. And I asked you to save me. And there was something that happened. I knew it. That you heard me. And that you saved a wretch like me. So in this moment, God, is there somebody who cry out to you and say, Lord, he's talking to me and will you hear my prayer, Lord? And he will. He will. And dear Christian, let's awake to righteous living. Let's, the greatest righteous act you can ever do is tell somebody Jesus is alive and your life ought to prove it. Because you're not afraid of death anymore. You're not, a, you're not panicking about trouble. You know God's got it all under control. Everything's in schedule. So, Lord, bless as we sing. Let every Christian make a decision today to live like you're alive. In Jesus' name, amen.